All right. He said we're good bowlers. The truth is we're horrible bowlers, but they were more horrible, all right? And uh, we had a fantastic time. It, yeah, and honestly, none of us care about bowling. It, it had nothing to do with bowling. It had everything to do with what your pastor said, just spending that time together. And uh, pastor, I want to share with you how grateful we are to be here and uh, to have been a part of this meeting, you and your family. You guys have been so kind and gracious. And this church family, this place is special. If I wasn't exactly where God wanted me to be, I would move to Honolulu, Hawaii, and I'd want to be a part of a church just like this one. And uh, you guys are the best, and so thank you for your kindness. And, and uh, your church is always so hospitable and gracious and welcoming. And uh, I, don't, I don't take that for granted. I, I'm a pastor, which means I pastor a church. I'm not gone a lot. But when I am gone in other churches, oftentimes I'll kind of feel like an unwanted guest. And you guys never do that. You always go out of your way to, to just be so kind and welcoming. And uh, we're so very, very thankful for that. Uh, I really believe that when I come to a church like this one, uh, I feel like I'm seeing a model of what church is supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, it's not like there's any axe to grind, like, oh, I know what those guys need. I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm gleaning from you. And uh, these last few days, you know, I love to teach and preach the Bible, but I love to hear it. Pastor Chadwick, your message has been a blessing to my heart. Mrs. Chadwick, thanks for singing. And uh, I've always wanted to be able to sing. I can't do it, but I like to hear it. And uh, so thank you for your special music. And uh, it's just been an awesome, awesome time. Isn't church excellent? I mean, isn't it great that we get to be a part of the body of Christ? We get to serve him and serve one another, and we are alive together in Jesus Christ. It's, it's the best. And tonight I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and join me in turning to the New Testament book of Acts, the book of Acts. And we're going to be in chapter 21 to get started, and I'm going to jump all over in the book of Acts tonight. But Acts chapter 21 is where I'll read in a moment. And, and if you know much about the New Testament, you know it begins with the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. And we're grateful for all the various perspectives that come by way of the Spirit-infused authors that God used to pen His Word. And then we come to the New Testament book of Acts. And, and Acts really kind of picks up after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we have the ascension where Jesus returns to the right hand of God, the Father, and the church begins in power in Acts chapter 2. And for the remainder of the book of Acts, we find the church in action. We find God coalescing his people, establishing the church in Jerusalem, and then it expands and, and more churches are started. And we learn in the New Testament book of Acts really how special the church is and how it's supposed to be. I've heard of pastors who've been told, you know, you need to get out into your community and pull the people in your town to find out what they want in a church. I've got a better idea. Why don't we read the Word of God and find out what God wants in His church, okay? And a great place to go to discern and discover what God would have His church to be is in the book of Acts. The Bible says they literally turned their world upside down. Now, that was the world's perspective. We know what they were doing really was turning the world right side up, but they changed the world in which they were living. As we study the book of Acts, we learn very early on that they were a compassionate people. I told you the church began in power in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. It just begins with Peter and John. They're going to go spend some time in prayer together, and they pass a guy, and, and uh, uh, he's, he's got some physical limitations, and they stop, and Peter says, you know, I don't have any money to give you, but what I have I'll offer to you. That's, that's Jesus Christ. And, and they were compassionate. They saw someone in need. They never thought, I wonder what this person can do for me. How can they help me? How can they benefit me? 
They thought, here's someone who has a need. And uh, I know that Peter and John were Baptists because they said, we have no money, okay? They said, but we do have the Lord. We'll give you Jesus. And they were compassionate. Acts chapter 3 in the end and Acts chapter 4, we learn the church is is, uh, a very courageous church. And uh, they got in trouble for taking a stand for Jesus. And they were the kind of people who could respectfully say, listen, uh, we're going to follow God rather than man. And, And they had a good attitude, but they were very, very courageous. They were unified. Pastor Chadwick touched on that, and I love the word used in the language of the New Testament for unified. It it literally means many instruments striking the same note. You know, if you tune a bunch of pianos to, to the same tuning fork, they'll all sound exactly the same. And it's wonderful, as people of faith, we're never going to have uniformity. We're all very, very different. I met someone tonight who is not a Los Angeles Lakers fan. Can you believe that? And we'll just agree to disagree on that one. But, but uh, we're not all going to be uniform, but we can be unified in Jesus Christ. And as we tune our life to the pages of God's Word, and as we're indwelt by God the Spirit, we can have unity one with another. What a beautiful thing it is when there's unity within a church. They were praying, and much could be said about that. In fact, did you know the church was not started out of a preaching meeting? It was started out of a prayer meeting. For seven weeks, they gathered in a room and they prayed, and it was from that 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 God launched His church. And all the way through the book of Acts, they're praying people, and they were an evangelistic people, and, and on we could go. And I'm so grateful that God and His love for the church and His love for us provided the book of Acts whereby we could glean good and godly examples for His work. And we know that the examples we find serve a twofold purpose. First of all, we learn from the example. Second of all, we learn from the example that we too are to be examples. We're to live an exemplary life. We're to live the kind of life that if someone didn't know anything about Jesus, Christianity, the Bible, that they could observe our behavior and come to some right conclusions by seeing how we live. We're to be examples as well. And and to help us with this thought tonight and to close out this, this incredible conference that you all have, have had these last few days, uh, I want to begin by teaching about someone this evening who's a part of the leadership team of the church in Jerusalem. He was a great man of faith. He served as a deacon in the church, and later he was sent to start other churches that would reach more people for Jesus. I want to speak to you tonight about a man in the Bible by the name of Philip. Philip lived a productive life. He made an impact in his world. He had a close and a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight you'd say, I feel I'm close to Jesus. That's great. That's wonderful. You may say, I feel that I'm far from Jesus. And and, and yet, really, what we all ought to be striving for is that growing relationship with Jesus. And Philip was a man that had a growing relationship with Jesus. Another thing I really love about Philip, he had a great family. I love that we can read in the New Testament that he had kids that, that, that gleaned from his life's example, and they went on to serve God themselves. He had a fantastic family. He, he was a good man. In some ways, he's an unsung hero in the early church. By no means is he the most famous member of that first century group. But when you consider his life, he left us some powerful, powerful uh, lessons from which we can learn. And we're going to read tonight in Acts chapter 21. And... Um, I'll begin reading in verse 1 if you'd like to follow along. Acts chapter 21 and verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad and set forth. 
Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was, an, un, uh, was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when he had accomplished those days, we, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company so we've got the Apostle Paul here and, and his team that's with him. We, we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And the Bible says that when they were in Caesarea, it goes on to say this next, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. I'd like for you to take note of the expression near the midst of verse 8 where the Bible just simply says this, Philip, the evangelist. Philip, the evangelist. Our Father, tonight we want to say thank you for all that you've done. Lord, the great victory you gave this church family Sunday, the conference you've allowed us to enjoy one with another. Lord, you've been so good, and we're grateful for that. And yet, Lord, we have this one time before us to open your word and jump in together. And I pray that by your spirit, you'd allow me to share truths that would be so very helpful, encouraging, challenging. Uh, Lord, may it be a blessing to this church family. We ask this prayer in the name above all names, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It started early in my life. I'd watch people and I'd try to copy them. I don't remember this, but I'd imagine there's a time when I couldn't walk and I saw someone else who was walking and I would think in my own mind, note to self, it would be good to try and get up off of all fours and walk on two legs. And, and then I got older. I have two older brothers. They're about nine and ten years older than me and I looked up to them and in my mind's eye, just about everything they did was cool and everything they did, I wanted to do and I tried to copy them and, and mimic them. And, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. That is actually an immature way to live. It's, it's actually a potentially unhealthy way to live but I think that's kind of how it begins for a lot of us we kind of copy what we see and then it slowly changes over the years I remember when I went to school there were students I admired and I may not have admitted it at the time but I knew there were those who were just super smart and I wanted to be like them I I'm thankful that I had some very inspiring teachers and I'm grateful for the teachers I had and you know if you have a teacher that has a gift of teaching uh, many years later now I'm looking back and I'm thinking of Mrs. Crippolani in fifth grade Mrs. Preston in seventh grade and coach Clifton in junior high and high school and Mrs. Dalton in, in uh, college and on I could go I'm thinking of teachers along the way who who inspired me and I sought to learn and glean from them later in my life I would take note of men who were married who seemed to have a happy home they seemed to figure some things out that I wanted to figure out and I would I would try now not to copy them but to glean from their example to emulate those things that they had done well I have two daughters and later still I would look to men that that were raising children that seemed to be well balanced 
balanced and happy and and uh, I would think I want to learn from people like that people that were a step or two beyond where I was in life I wanted to glean from their experience and when it comes to the Christian life we are so blessed to have the lives of the earliest Christians from which to learn these are people that provide us a great service sometimes the Bible is kind enough to let us learn from their bad examples in the book of Acts, we're going to find people that didn't always get it right, and I'm glad to learn from their bad example. By the way, life is too short to learn all those lessons ourselves. Aren't you glad you can learn from the mistakes of other people? You don't have to make them all by yourself. And so I'm glad sometimes to learn that way, but then there are other people that just seem to get it right, and we learn from their great examples. And Philip is one of these very, very helpful characters in the New Testament. Many of the studies that I, I bring are, are, are located in just a, a, a section of Scripture, a passage of Scripture. And, and tonight, the nature of this study, considering a character, we're going to go to a few different uh, passages. But, but throughout the book of Acts, you find Philip's name popping up, and, and you can glean different things. In the passage I read to you a moment ago, it's a very benign mention of Philip. His name's just kind of thrown in there. In, in fact, the verses I read as we got started tonight in Acts chapter 1, Philip doesn't utter a word there. He's silent. And isn't it interesting that you can even learn a good example from someone when they don't even say a word? I remember as I was growing up, one of the most influential men, perhaps the most influential man in my life as I was younger coming along, was my grandfather. He was a great guy. Did you ever get to meet my granddad? He's been in heaven for some time, but he was just uh, an outstanding man. And uh, as I was uh, coming along, my folks would send me to Colorado every summer, and then we'd get back there every chance we could. And, and uh, my grandfather, just a hardworking man, when he was in eighth grade, he had to leave school to go help on the family farm that his father ha had uh, homesteaded. He was a hard worker, as I said, and when he took the farm, he, he uh, expanded it uh, more than ten times what it was when he took it. And uh, he, he was a good businessman. He did very well for himself, and he was super generous. Not only did he do what the Bible teaches us to do, to worship and honor God with the first fruits of our income or to give a tithe, but he gave to missionaries. He gave to people in need. If he heard of someone who was starting a church he'd always just want to give him an offering to be a blessing he was such a kind man and a very generous man I I loved him very much and and we spent a lot of time together in fact he would kind of secretly say Lisa knows this he'd say I was his favorite grandkid he would he would say that wouldn't he and uh, he liked me now let me tell you about my grandfather we'd spend so sometimes the entire day together and just a very few words the whole day long I mean, there were days where we'd go fishing. We'd get in the truck to go fishing early in the morning. We're both tired, and we'd drive to the stream, and we'd get to the stream, and he'd fish, and I'd fish, and we'd get back to the truck. We might compare fish. We'd get back in the truck and drive home, and there might have been just a very few number of words. There were days, I mean, complete days, where I'd just ride on the fender of an old 4020 John Deere tractor. I'd ride with Granddad as he'd plow field. We wouldn't talk all day long. There were times we'd go to cut wood, and I knew he'd want his chainsaw and all the things that went with it. I'd get it, and I'd put it in the back of his truck. We'd drive. He'd cut wood. You can't talk when a chainsaw's running. We'd, we'd load the wood in the back of the truck. We'd drive back to the farmhouse. Sometimes not a word spoken, but he was a great example in my life. What a blessing to know. You many times don't even have to speak to be a good example, and I think that's kind of how Philip is, at least in this text I read a moment ago. He didn't speak, but he provides that invaluable example that can help us all 
And as we dig a bit deeper into the life of Philip tonight, I want to share three simple lessons that I pray will uh, really put an exclamation point on what we've learned to this point in our time together. The first element I'd like for you to learn about the life of Philip is this. He brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships. If you're still with me, say amen. He brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships. Now, in the passage we read a moment ago in verse 8, the Bible tells us that Paul and his company or his team, his, his ministry team, they made their way to Philip's home. And you get the idea, the understanding that they expected to be welcomed. They expected when they knocked on the door for Philip to open the door and say, come on in. And it's in this passage that the Bible tells us of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven. Now, we've got to wonder, one of the seven, seven what? And, of course, the Bible gives us insight as to what that seven is. To understand that, we would need to go back to Acts chapter 6. So if you want to take your Bibles and, and go with me back to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we find the great church in Jerusalem. They're growing God is blessing, and they're having problems. I was glad in a perverse way to know that there was a church where God was working, they were growing, and they had problems too, okay? That encouraged me in some kind of a weird way. But uh, they were growing, and the demands of ministry were increasing. And they realized, you know, the way we've always done things is going to have to change if we're going to grow and see more done for the Lord. I mean, there were some apostles who were taking the lead, and they were doing everything, and that was great, and that got them up to thousands. And, and the moment came where there was a need that was brought to the surface. The widows in the church were not being cared for, and we know that God loves widows in a special way, and, and, and that led to a conversation, and the apostles said, you know, uh, the time needed for study, the time needed for prayer, the time needed for care, it's just all too much for us. And so their solution for the church was this, hey, we need to employ and deploy more people people into the work of God when I say employ I don't mean hire more people uh, in other words they they said we've got to get more people on board in terms of serving in the church not just being served in the church and then we've got to deploy them we've got to unleash them we've got to uh, authorize deputize maybe do a little supervise but we've got to let them loose for the glory of God more servant leaders now although this passage in Acts chapter 6 does not use the term deacon. This is where many people believe that that, that, uh, that office comes from. In Acts chapter 6, if you would look down to verse 3, the Bible says there, they're now addressing this problem. They said, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Now I'm going to read on. Back where we started in Acts 21, Philip was one of the seven. One of the seven what? Here it is, one of the seven original deacons of the church in Jerusalem. Seven men, they say, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. In response, here was the, here was the reply from the church, Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. And the saying pleased the multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Icanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Two names I want you to glean from that list. We hear of Stephen first, and then we hear of Philip. Philip and Stephen, brothers in Christ. Philip and Stephen, co-laborers for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philip and Stephen, first two deacons mentioned ever in the history of the church. These were two men that loved God. They were filled with the Spirit. They had God's wisdom in their lives. And each of these men served with distinction. 
Now, we're going to get back to Philip in a moment, but I want us to think of Stephen, this good friend in Philip's life. Stephen was a man who was known for his great courage. Stephen was a man who was known for sharing his faith, even in the face of adversity. And perhaps most of all, Stephen was known for being the first martyr in the history of the church. Stephen was killed simply for being a Christian and seeking to share Jesus Christ. He was killed for that. But there's an interesting footnote to his death. Would you turn your Bibles over, please, to Acts chapter 7? Acts chapter 7. If you're still alive, say amen. You guys are great, man. Acts chapter 7, all right? As the people are literally stoning Stephen to death, we read this in verse 57 and 58. The Bible says they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. In Acts chapter 8, in verse 1, the Bible says of this man Saul, and Saul was consenting unto his death. In other words, this man Saul was overseeing the death of Stephen, who was a good friend, brother, and co-laborer of Philip's. Stephen was killed, and this man Saul was responsible for that stoning, for his death. Now, later the Bible records that Saul in time comes to know Jesus as his Savior, and his name is changed to the Apostle Paul. And Pastor Chris last night preached a great sermon where we talked a lot about the Apostle Paul. This was the genesis of Paul. This was the beginning of Paul. When we meet the Apostle Paul, he's not the great uh, preacher. He's not the great writer, the prolific writer of the New Testament. He's a man who's a madman. He's, he's going places persecuting Christians. This is where we find him killing Stephen and the text we read a moment ago in Acts chapter 21 said that Paul and his team walk up to Philip's house if you would knocked on the door and Philip opened and said good to see you come on in this would be a good time for me to ask you how do you treat people that hurt you how, how do you handle those times where you've been offended it didn't go your way I mean, listen, this, this is an extreme example, but, but I wonder, how would, you, how would you treat someone who hurts someone you love? Maybe your best friend, maybe your brother in Christ, maybe your co-laborer together with Jesus. How do you treat those who've, who've done wrong to you? And Philip, upon seeing that the Apostle Paul now, not yet the Apostle Paul, but seeing that Paul's life had been totally changed by Jesus Christ, hear me please, he did the one thing he knew Jesus Christ would have him to do. He forgave him. He forgave him. Now, I know the day in which we're living. Uh, I, I know, you know, the, uh, the emphasis on justice, and we're in the Me Too era and all of those things, and this would be a good place for me to say what the Apostle Paul did in murdering Stephen wasn't actually against the law. If it was, we have an obligation to go to the law when there's an issue. Paul, when he killed Stephen, he was sanctioned by the government of their time and space, so he wasn't committing murder in the eyes of the government. He was getting rid of, rid of some pesky Christians, and so Philip had no legal recourse. It was something that, that Paul had done, so he had to make a determination in his heart I'm going to forgive this man what he did is, is terrible but he's now a believer God has changed his life and I'm not going to bear the burden of a grudge that will prevent me in my life I'm going to forgive this person who's hurt me you know one thing I can tell you about the family of God is that at times it's as dysfunctional as any family you'll find anywhere I won't pick on your church, but I can tell you Coastline is a dysfunctional church family. And one of the main reasons it is is because I'm a member there. 
Not pretty weird if you haven't figured that, that, that uh, out already, okay? Uh, and and uh, you're in this church. That may qualify to make this a, a dysfunctional church. You see, the problem with churches is people come to them. And people are imperfect, and we all bring this baggage with us at times. And, and even the church of Jesus Christ, as beautiful as it is, it can, it can be a messy place because all of us are a work in progress. And we know that Stephen's death turned out to be a turning point for Saul. It was an event he'd look back on. It was a time when God was working in his life and he was saved shortly thereafter. We, we know there was nothing for Saul to do once he became a Christian with, with all that, that, that happened in his past. As we saw last night, that could have been an anchor from which he never moved forward. There was nothing he could do other than to seek that forgiveness from God through the work of Jesus Christ. He did that and then to seek forgiveness of others. But Philip had the unspeakably tough job of bringing health to the most uncomfortable partnership we can imagine. But that's just how Philip was. I wonder today, who is it that you are harboring a grudge against? Who blew it, has gotten over it, but you're just not, not going to give them another shot? Now, again, I'd be the first to say if someone's a predator, we have no obligation to, to, to bring the, the wolf, if you would, into our, our hen house. I, I know that. I've, I've told our church, you need to know if you serve in, in ministry, if there's an accusation, we don't do in-house investigations here. If there's impropriety, we, we go straight to the police. That's our job as, as reporters. We handle those things. I, I'm talking about more of those times when we've been hurt, we've been offended. Someone stepped on us, and we, we're, we're saying, I'm never going to give them another chance. You see, if someone's grown through their troubles, listen, we need to be the first one to say, let's give them an opportunity to make something good of a bad situation. Philip, oh, he was so great in the way that he allowed the Lord to use him to bring healing to uncomfortable partnerships. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a group of people at Hui Kala Baptist Church who said, you know something, at times our partnerships are going to be strained and it's going to be a little uncomfortable at times, but let's just predetermine decide in advance that when those times come we want to be healing agents let's not rely on determination in the moment that's not enough determination is not enough let's predetermine let's decide right now when we're on the heels of a great of a great uh, anniversary conference a, a great time of celebration a great time in the word a great time of cinnabon last night can i get an amen all right here we are let's decide right now when things are going good that when that strain that difficulty that discomfort comes that will bring healing in those times. Philip brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships. Secondly, tonight, he brought hope to unevangelized places. Hope to unevangelized places. Again, back where we started reading in Acts chapter 21, we read in verse 8 that Paul and his team arrived, and the Bible said, We entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. The evangelist. I don't know what you think of when you hear of the word evangelist, but really in the New Testament, that refers to the work of a missionary. And an evangelist means, by definition, someone who shares news about important events. And you can be an evangelist about just about anything. But for Philip, he decided there's nothing more important than the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so he became person, a person that was a messenger who delivered the good news of Jesus. There was nothing more important than that. And so he shared the gospel as the book of Acts begins, we find the great commission that Jesus left for his church. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, by the way, this is the fifth time we find the passage we call the great commission. In Acts 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen, Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Get this good news of salvation, full and free, and that which I've done on the cross. I, I want you to get that news out to the entire world. Philip was not the first man to hear the Great Commission, but he was the first man to actually uproot and go someplace else to do the work of missions. He took the gospel to other people. Oh, listen, what a great uh, thing that he did before other well-known characters in the first century church, people like Paul and Barnabas and, and uh, Silas and Timothy. Philip journeyed to distant lands to tell people about the joy of salvation. The Bible tells us he went south towards the desert that separates the region we call today uh, Palestine from Egypt. He went from there north and west to the desert of Azotus and then to Joppa and then where we find him in Acts 21, he's living in, in Caesarea. And the point I'm making is that he was was willing to change up his life to change up what he was doing so that he could get the gospel message to those who'd yet to meet the Lord now today your church is taking the gospel message around the world while you're doing it right here you guys have missionaries we can wonder how can we obey the great commission we can't be everywhere at the same time but the fact is you've got some great missionaries around the world that are doing the same work that Philip was doing way back in the first century and you're you're making a difference in that way but tonight I really want to emphasize this fact did you know that you're living right in the middle of a great mission field here I mean, what an opportunity you have to bring hope to unevangelized places. I'm not uh, insinuating tonight that there aren't other churches that teach the gospel on this island. I, I have no idea of all the, uh, all the dynamics of the churches on, on this island, but this much I do know. I've spent enough time on, on this island to know that there are a lot of people that need to hear about Jesus. And you've been blessed in the goodness and kindness of God. God and His sovereignty in eternity past has your life intersect with the life of this church, and He has you at this locale. And God's GPS system he put you in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on this island in the middle of of people that need the Lord and we like Philip have an opportunity to bring bring uh, uh, the, the hope of the gospel to unevangelized places I wonder how awesome would it be if you made a decision God my neighborhood my subdivision this building this park this community center God I want to just claim a little piece of real estate here for you God, I, I want to I take hope here to these people that need it. Oh, listen, you never know the life that will change and the lives that will be changed from that life until you say, God, where do you want me? I'm all in. Several weeks ago, our church celebrated our 20th anniversary, and, and uh, it was wonderful, like, like this, you know. And uh, I, I uh, often feel deeply. I seldom share my feelings. And, um, and the 20th, it hit me for whatever reason. I, I don't know, just maybe more years are going and you, you start counting the years behind you and figuring how many are in front of you. I don't know if it means more. I, I'm not sure what was happening, but uh, it was a big, big deal to me. And I was so thankful uh, for what God had done. As we were celebrating our, our anniversary, we took uh, an evening and we had the people in our church who'd been there, who'd come in the first five years. And we had a special dinner for them and it was just great. And uh, we shared a meal and a video and gave them a gift and we just tried to love on them. And, and then I did kind of similar pastor to what you did tonight, you know, uh, had popcorn testimonies. But specifically, I just said, hey, those of you that have been here a while, uh, share with us something maybe God's done in your life, just something you want to share with the rest of us. And people went around and, and it was awesome to hear the stories. But, but I remember as I was uh, standing near in the front and it was a room about this size and there was a table just about right there. 
and uh, this guy stood up. You know, I said, raise your hand. He just stood up. He was going to talk. He was not going to be silenced, you know, and uh, great guy, police officer, and uh, he stood up, and, and this is what he said. Now, I knew his story. I just hadn't heard him say it in about 19 and a half years, okay? Uh, he, he said, you know, uh, my wife and I on a Friday night, uh, uh, almost 20 years ago, but we were having some needs, and I won't go into the backstory, but there was one. And he said, we ended our talk by saying we probably need to find a church. He said, Saturday morning I slept in. When I came out my front door, somebody had come by, and we were sleeping in late. We didn't, we didn't notice, but they left an invitation to a new church that was starting on our front door. He said, I opened the door, and the invitation fell, and I, I picked it up. So Friday night we said, we probably need to go find a church. On Saturday there's an invitation to a church. On Sunday we showed up at this new church called Coastline Baptist Church, and he talked about how people welcomed him and how he felt uh, involved. And, and in his case, his wife became a believer. Uh, he, he got assurance of his salvation, and, and they began to grow in the Lord, and, and their lives were transformed. And, and I've had the joy now for almost 20 years of seeing their lives, these lives of people who've been transformed by the power of the gospel they're now investing in the lives of others and so it's no longer addition now it's multiplication it's an exponential thing and all of that happened because one unnamed person we won't know this side of heaven one person said you know something i'm claiming this door for jesus christ uh, it just may be that somebody behind this door needs a little bit of hope, and I'm going to take hope to an unevangelized place. One person made a difference by saying, I'm going to leave this invitation home. I knocked, they're not answering, but they're going to have an invitation whether they like it or not, and that made a difference. I wouldn't presume to think that any of you would remember anything I say for a year, but when I was here last year, I told the story of how our family came to know Jesus. I won't tell it in depth again tonight. One young man was attending Bible college. He had the summer... He wanted to do something for the Lord, too timid to work with adults. He went to a small town in southwest Colorado and thought, you know, maybe I can do something for the children. He went to all the homes in the small rural farming community. He went to the last home at the end of a dead-end dirt road. You can't see that home until you, you go over the last hill. I mean, he went way out of the way where he found a family that had four small kids. He invited them to come to like a vacation Bible school kind of thing. And in the course of that week, those kids came to know Jesus. And in the course of the weeks to follow through the testimony of these kids and the follow-up of the church, those parents of those kids got saved. And those parents were my grandparents. And those kids were uh, my, my aunts and my uncle and my father. And years later, my father went to college and married a lady that also wanted to serve Jesus and years after that I, I was born and I'm saying that my life has changed and I praise God he's allowing my life to help some other people why because one person who's even too shy to talk to adults said you know I'm going to claim this community for Jesus Christ I'm going after the kids I'm going to every house I don't even know if there's a house at the end of this dirt road but I'm going to go to the end of the road and find out if there is one and sure enough he found four kids he invited to come to a children's ministry and they came you know what he was saying in an essence Hey, I could probably be like a Philip. I might not be the most famous man in the, in the New Testament, but I can be faithful, and I can do what Jesus has, has called me to do. I can carry out the Great Commission. Philip, he brought hope to unevangelized places. Here's the final thought from the final message of the conference. I want you to see, finally, he brought help to unreached people. You know, it's one thing to think of unreached areas, and we must. But let's never forget how personal ministry is to be as well. And for Philip, this was so incredibly, incredibly personal. 
Acts chapter 8 is a wonderful passage of Scripture. If you'd like to turn there, I'll share a couple verses in a moment. But in Acts chapter 8, we find there the time when Philip was involved in a massive uh, evangelistic campaign. He's preaching the gospel. Many people are coming to know Jesus, and, and yet the Lord says, in essence, hey, I want you to leave this great big meeting and go talk to one person. Aren't you glad that God cares for individuals? Amen. I mean, I'm glad to know for God so loves the world, but I, I kind of like to put my name in there sometimes. It's, it's good to know God loves everybody, but God loves you too, and he loves me too. It's, it's personal with God. And it's in this encounter that we find Philip meet a man. We don't know his name. We just call him the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Bible tells us of this. We read there, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. We know that this Ethiopian man was a very powerful, influential man. He would have been what we might call today the treasurer of that entire nation. And, and he went to Jerusalem, the Bible says, for to worship, but it's apparent he's leaving Jerusalem. And what all he saw there, I don't know. I think he saw some of this new thing we call the church. And he no doubt saw a little bit of, of the old thing of, of Judaism and the sacrifices. And he's traveling home and God's working in his heart. And God the Spirit was doing that, that work that only he can do of, of drawing someone. And he has more questions. Then he has answers, and that's when God said, Philip, listen, you're leaving the big meeting to go talk to just this one person. And uh, uh, th there's a beautiful story here where this man hears the gospel of, of Jesus. He trusts Jesus as his Savior. He immediately, instantaneously, no 10-week class, I mean, he gets saved, and he instantly says, which leads me to believe he saw this happening in Jerusalem, he says to Philip, hey, can I get baptized? And Philip said, hey, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, you certainly can. And, and he did. And so this man hears the gospel. He trusts Jesus. He gets saved. It's a great story. But there's a backstory to that great story that we need to understand if we're going to understand Philip. I want you to understand this was the first occasion when a Gentile person hears the gospel of Jesus and gets saved. You see, it wasn't done that way before. There was a barrier as Pastor Chris preached last night, I mean, we got a great understanding of the Jewish culture. I, I had someone literally say to me uh, recently, Pastor, uh, you, you often talk about Jews when we're studying the Bible. Why do you talk about the Jews so much? Well, it was a Jewish thing. Jesus was Jewish, and his followers were Jewish, and all those first Christians, you know, uh, at Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish feast, and, and it branched out from there. Praise God. I'm glad for that. And, uh, and yet we, we think of this God that loves everyone, but Philip was the one that said, you know, there's a barrier. This is exclusively a Jewish thing and there's a Gentile man Philip was the kind of guy that said you know I think that's a barrier we need to break he needs to hear the gospel I'm going to tell him about Jesus he, he broke that barrier you know the Jewish law would not allow eunuchs into their religious community that was a barrier Philip said you know something I'm not operating under that law anymore I'm operating under the law of Jesus Christ the law of love 
And so uh, I, I, want, I want this man to be a part of, of the fellowship of believers. And he baptized this man. And baptism, we know, permits people into the community of faith. It allows them to be added unto the church, as the Bible says, a barrier that was broken by Philip. And I don't know much about Ethiopians, but I know that they're black. And I know that Philip wasn't. Apparently, Philip could have cared less what color that man was. And that man could have cared less what Philip was. This man wanted to know the truth. And Philip knew the truth and had the love of God in his heart for this man and he said I don't care what the barriers are I just want to love this guy to Jesus Christ history tells us in Ethiopia shortly after this time a great revival broke out they call it the Coptic revival it was incredible many people think that because Philip had an interest in individuals that his convert goes back to Ethiopia and perhaps that was the catalyst if you would for for that revival I wonder when Philip left the big meeting as God said listen I I know you're being blessed right now your name's in the in the lights your name's on the marquee you're leaving the big time to go talk to one person I wonder if Philip for a moment thought wow I wonder why and I bet in heaven looking back he says I'm so thankful God brought that curveball into my life I didn't know why it was happening at the time but I see now how God used it in my life Our world and our nation are so incredibly divided. I mean, is anybody grieved over that? I mean, I I, I saw the news today and all these bombs being sent around, and I've been seeing over the week all the violence one side or the other, and I'm not a politician. Uh, I'm not here to talk about politics, but I think that's a pretty good picture. It's kind of a microcosm of where we are in in our country. It's like we we don't even not like people anymore. Just like escalate straight to hate right off the bat. It's incredible. And I believe with all my heart that the answer is found in the love of Jesus, filling our hearts to the point that we can't keep it to ourselves. I mean, the overflow of his love just sloshing in our lives. We just walk by people and it just just gets on them. It, It just changes everything. I'd imagine at some point on this last Sunday, in some room in this church, there were kids that sang red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Sometimes we need to be more like children, don't we? Say, you know something? I'm going to set race aside. God doesn't seem to care. I shouldn't either. And you guys, you got that down here. But Philip was also willing to say, you know, I'm going to set their past aside too. Paul had done some pretty bad things. And Philip said, you know, I think in Christ he's a new creation. I'm going to set that aside. God forgave him. I bet I could. Set your idea of how you think they might respond aside and realize that you could just be the one to help them come to know Jesus. Philip was an incredible role model. And in so many ways, the reason I wanted to close with him, I think he, he's a great picture of so many different things that the church did right. He loved the family of faith. He loved his own family. I love the fact the Bible mentions his daughters are serving the Lord. He cared for regions where there was no one there to tell him about Jesus. His heart encompassed others who were different than him. In short, Philip just reminds me so much of Jesus. I can't study the life of Philip without thinking, you know, he reminds me of Jesus. That's how Jesus is. We were talking after the service last night and eating those little cinnamon bun things. And, uh, and, and your pastor made a statement. He said, uh, how, how do we make this meeting keep going in our church? And 
I thought, that's a great question. And then I was troubled because I thought, I, I have no idea, you know. You know, there is a desire for a meeting like this. And it's that it would be an occasion where we could be provoked, encouraged, admonished, stirred to lives of faithfulness. Faithfulness, greater faithfulness for the Lord. The fact is, it's not one size fits all. And that's the amazing thing about preaching the word of God is God the Spirit can take what I say that is true from the Bible and he can deliver it to your heart and you can receive it in the way you need it most. Some people can hear a message and think, man, I need to stop doing that. Someone else will hear the same message and think, I need to start doing this. God can take this conference and he can use it as many different ways as there are people that have had an opportunity to be a part of it. And I believe that if we would say, God, would you help me to be like a Philip? We can be well-rounded participants in the overall work that God is doing. Philip was the kind of man that brought healing to uncomfortable partnerships. He brought hope to unevangelized places. He brought help to unreached people. Jesus does the miracle. Our job is to bring the faithful, to bring the faithful. God says, you know, it's, it's required in those that live for me, stewards, that to be faithful. And listen, if we'll just be all faithful, all faithful, do all we know that's right. Have a heart that's open to learn more. Have a heart that's open to be corrected when we need to be. If we'll just be faithful, we'll see that out of rather ordinary lives, an extraordinary story can be told. Now, I like to point to a verse for everything I say, and I don't have a verse for this one, but I never get the idea from Philip that he thought, man, I'm going to be big time. Thousands of years from now, they're going to be standing up in auditoriums and all around the world, they're going to be talking about me. I, I don't think that was ever his idea. I don't think that was ever his wish. I, I don't think he ever cared about being the most famous person in the church but he cared very deeply about making sure that people saw Jesus in him. And God used him to make a massive impact.